Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. This is the ContenderCast. It's Justin Hahnemann, and we are here to shine a light on bright ideas. And I know many of you are going to know the guest on today's podcast, Peter Shankman. He is an amazing individual, and he's one of those guys that like sits between this world of like social media, PR, marketing, advertising, and kind of this world of connecting individuals. And so, Peter, it is awesome having you on the podcast. Glad to be here, man. All right. Hey, listen. So let's do this. So for those of you that don't know Peter, he has an unbelievable background. So he started his career at America Online, remember AOL, and then he started his own PR firm called The Geek Factory. So Peter, let's talk about that first. Like, How did you decide to go do that? And what made you kind of get up the, the nerve and the, the process to go launch your own firm that's now been in place for, what, 20 years? So AOL was a great experience. It was wonderful. I could do really whatever I wanted to. And um, it was a blast. The, uh, the downside came when I left AOL, left AOL and my next job was like, you know, I had to check in, uh, <laughs> I had a, you know, you had guardrails. <laughs> 35 minutes for lunch. I'm like, what the hell is this Russia? You know, it, it wasn't, wasn't okay. And, um, I realized that, that what was really happening was that I was much better on my own. Sure. And I realized that I am much better at sort of, I, I don't play well with others for lack of a better word. <laughs> so and you so, don't like guardrails, basically. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, for me, it became really about um, seeing I couldn't go out on my own and giving it a shot. And, uh, you know, it would be 20 years this October. I got very, very lucky. I've had a lot of success and luck. Um, but yeah, I thought my actual take was that if I fail, I'll get a job. <laughs> sure. Um, I actually thought, I, actually, I think I said when I fail. And yeah. Got lucky. Didn't have to. Didn't have to fail. <laughs> so, what made you do? What made you start a PR firm? Like, I mean, you were. I know you were in that kind of space, the digital space. But what made you to start I was the PR in the journalism firm? space? And I was in the journalism space, and I had worked uh, a lot in journalism, and then you know, working for AOL, I, I found myself having to constantly explain what the newsroom was, and that sort of led me into PR, in the respect that um, I can, you know, if I'm good at talking to people and good at explaining things, well, maybe I should, you know. They got a way to do public relations. And Absolutely. one thing with another, turns out I was, I was decent at it. And yeah, here we are. Well, one of the favorite stories I remember when we first met in Atlanta, um, and I know you live in New York, and um, uh, one of the first stories you shared with us was around this t-shirt idea that you had that helped you launch that first company. Why don't you share that with our audience? Yeah. I, um, it's funny. I'm actually looking at the original 500 shirt right across from me in my office. I, um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was the summer of 98, and I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to start my agency, but I had very little money. Uh, the movie Titanic was coming out on video. I took my rent money, and I figured if I could have 500 t-shirts printed up, a t-shirt would read it, sank, get over it. I figured if I could sell 180, make my rent money back, anything more would be profit. So I figured it would take oh, a week to sell 180 shirts. Sold 500 shirts in six hours. <laughs> At Central Park, uh, right? Called a reporter. Uh, Times Square, actually. Times Square. Called a reporter, it. told the story. She loved it. And, uh, yeah, went on the front page of USA Today. Next day I knew, here we are. You know, I sold 10,000 shirts on the web in about two months. It's pretty crazy. Oh, my gosh. That's so cool. I guess that's. Uh, I guess that would be a lesson learned for all the entrepreneurs that are out there listening is if you have an idea, sometimes it's worth it just to give it a shot, right? I mean, what do you have to lose? Just go for it. What the hell? Is money, money's, money's only something you need in case you don't die tomorrow. You can always make more of it. <laughs> 
totally agree. All right. So you got this uh, great PR firm going and then you decide you're going to start what we now call Hero. And for those who don't know Hero, help a reporter out. It is an unbelievable platform for connecting writers and content providers. It's actually um, a, something that I use daily uh, to review opportunities to provide content to writers. And so, Peter, how did this come about? How did you get that started and what got that off the ground? Well, I spend the majority of my time on airplanes and I my ADHD allows me to talk to everyone in the world. And so because of that, if you're on a plane next to me, unless you fake your death, I'm pretty much going to know everything about you by the time you land. <laughs> um, so I was able to create a very large Rolodex. And from that, uh, sort of built it up, built it up. And uh, reporters would call me all the time. Hey, we're doing a story on this. You know, you know everyone. Who do, I, who do you know who does this? Whatever. And over time, it just got, you know, I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this. It's just sort of taking up too much of my life. and. Um, yeah, I would do this. I launched a, what at that point was just a simple email newsletter. And uh, yeah, it grew. <laughs> it's amazing. For those that um, aren't writers or aren't in the PR space, I mean, you're, you're, this is a platform that now handles close to 2,000 queries a week, uh, for 200,000 plus sources, you know, launched 2008 and just an unbelievable and great way to get connected. And if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out if you are a writer or someone you would like to provide content for. Um, and Peter, that's, I, so you sold it though. How did that all, how did you decide I'm going to sell my baby? My options were hire 10 people and grow it or sell it. I'm a terrible manager. I don't, I, I know that about myself. I'm not good at it. <laughs> right. Um, I figured let's let someone else manage it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's just rocking today. All right, so um, Peter's an expert in the PR world. Know, the, know, the, know thyself is really the Right. Thing. No, that's true. I mean, I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with the operate piece versus when they're really good at just the ideas and getting started, right? I mean, and that seems to be your world for sure. Um, Peter's a, an a unbelievable expert in the PR space. And so, and you've written, what, five books now. So what I thought we could do, Peter, I thought this would be kind of fun, is talk through those at the high level um, and then talk about maybe what's changed or what's different since you wrote them. So I love this one you wrote in 2006. Can we do that? Outrageous PR stunts that work and why your company needs them. So I, I love the stories in the book. If I, what are your thoughts on the world of PR from that perspective then versus now? PR is still massively useful. Um, it's really more about you know, what used to stand for public relations really now stands more for personal recommendation. You want to be able to, you want to be able to, uh, you know, no one believes how great you are if you're the one that has to tell them. Um, so you really want to be able to do things that other people find amazing that they're willing to share. You know, it's still great to get a news story, no question about it. But, you know, if I had a choice, I would get 100 people telling their friends about how awesome I am. That's pretty <laughs> right, nice. right. And what were some of your favorite outrageous PR stunts that you worked with or, or that you, you at least were aware um, of? <laughs> one of the favorites was a Taco Bell put a one mile wide floating target into the Indian Ocean um, when the Mir spaceship was supposed to crash down and said that if any, if any part of Mir hits this target, everyone in America gets a free taco. <laughs> I remember when the Mir was crashing, no doubt. A mile wide, clear. wow. I think any, any PR stunt that actually helped you know, a PR stunt for the sake of a PR stunt is pointless. The PR stunt has to get you to remember the company. No question. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. So I understand, and you can make a, a business case for why companies need them, but do you see more companies than not avoiding some of those, like, big stunts versus going with the smaller investments here or there? What's your take on where, how the trend has been since you uh, wrote that book in 2006? You know, I think that, you know, they still do them as long as they're fun, as long as they're useful, as long as they're worthwhile. Right? You've got to figure out what you could do that benefits uh, your audience 
the more you can benefit the audience you have, that's how you get the audience you want. No doubt. Well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that was a fun one, fun book to put together. So your next one was all around customer service, new rules for a social media world. So that was in 2010, so we're eight years ago. So how has the world of social evolved and changed? And what are your perspectives on that in terms of its use as a PR tool and a platform? Well, the tech has changed, no doubt. But it, you know, customer service is still hands down the best possible way to uh, do tremendous things for your business. Because let's face it, we live in a world now where the entire uh, 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 you know, anyone who has a great experience can share it forward or not. And so if you can create something incredible, right, and get the world to share it for you, again, that, that's the best possible way to do public relations. And that's the best possible way to use customer service. You get the customers you want by being awesome to the customers you have. And, you know, no one ever went broke telling their employees to be nicer to their customers. <laughs> no doubt. That's for sure. Well, and I think that's an interesting segue into your next book, which was Nice Companies Finish First. Not nice guys. Nice Companies Finish First, right? Why Cutthroat Management's Over. So I, of, of the books you've written, this is the one I, my initial thought was it was off of, like it was different than the other four. But what, what, how did this one come about? You wrote this one in 2013. So after I sold Harrow, the premise, I was trying to figure out why Harrow did so well. And what I realized is that the customer service and the customer engagement and the level of treatment of customers in this world pretty much sucks, <laughs> right? And I realized that we don't necessarily need to be awesome. We don't need to be awesome to our customers. We just need to be a little bit better than what, what customers expect. And it is such a small barrier. You could just do... Just slightly a little bit better. better. Wow. Yep. It's really amazing. Have you seen any companies that you think really do it well? Like if you had to list one or two or three, like which one stand out in your mind of, of companies that are doing it just a little better? You travel a lot, maybe one of your travel partners or whatnot. You know, I've seen a tremendous change in United over the past six months since they had that whole debacle. They're really putting customer service first, which is great. Also, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of steak. Morton Steakhouse goes out of their way to take care of everyone. Uh, Avis car rental does really, really well. Um, you know, it, sometimes it's just, it's just a little thing. A Vitamix is a, a great example. My, my blender died after three years, probably because I did something. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> right. one, tweet, one tweet later and they, were sent, they sent me a, a postage paid envelope to send it back and, and, and get it fixed. It, they're pretty amazing. That's, that, those are some great examples. Yeah, I think we can all probably think of companies that are doing it just a bit better and some that maybe have taken a step back and make it not a priority. That's for sure. And it makes a big difference. And people talk about it now more than ever, right? From back to the, your, PR, your PR comments. Okay, so here's the next one. So I love this one. 2015, three years ago, zombie loyalists using great service to build rabbit fans. I love this one because I think right now there's a lot of talk around how do you build a base? How do you build a following? How do you build a tribe? You know, you're hearing all these buzzwords out there now. So talk about this one and, and where it's gone since you put that one out. Well, that's definitely part of the uh, sort of part of what, you know, everything else, all the other books led up to, you know, as you continue to do great things, the customers you have tend to start sharing that. So what Zombie Loyalist is really about is giving ways to arm those customers, to teach them to be amazing, to, to allow them to do incredible things uh, and reward them when they do, you know, again, thus growing your business just by being amazing. And we have tons of case studies in there, how, uh, you know, how many companies have, have just gotten so just blown up sure, just simply by, you know, just being a little better and letting the customers tell the story. No question. Yeah, I love that idea. And again, I see 
today, more than ever, companies and organizations that are trying to figure out how to engage the guest, engage the consumer, engage kind of the end customer in a different way and um, and, and make them loyal follow, followers and people that talk about their brand or product or service, right, in, in a way that's unique. Yep. All right. Last but not least, I think this one is fascinating, and I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this one. Um, last year, faster than normal, unlocking the gifts of the ADHD brain. So talk about this one and how ADHD plays out with you. So for me, um, I think the number one thing to say is that I have a faster brain and I, I've been working the past several years on figuring out ways to make sure that it doesn't go off the rails. Got it. And how does that play out then? How, so you say well, you figure, trying to figure out ways. If you have a faster brain, one of the things you want to do is you want to make sure that people, um, you, that you're able to control it, right? It's like, if you gave me a Lamborghini, um, that's great. As long as I know how to drive it. If I drove it, like I drove a Honda and I, you know, I was used to having to slam the foot down, slam my foot on the gas, the Honda to get to have any pickup, I slam into a tree. The key for me is, you know, the key for me is to make sure I understand that my brain does work a certain way and to put situations into place so that I'm not allowed to sort of get out of or get into a negative situation. So, and have you done that? You're like, have you solved that for yourself or like, how did you, how have you figured that out in terms of just, you know, uh, almost managing your own. I put rules in the place in my life that allow me to do what I want when I want it. But, you know, to do that, I have to make sure that the rules are working. So, for instance, I do not, uh, I, will, I will not start my day off unless I've exercised. Right. And sometimes that involves, you know, I have, a, I have a four-year-old daughter. Sometimes it involves me getting up as early as 3.45 a.m. to get a good workout in. Sure. Um, and so that's what I do. You know, I am very aware of what I eat. I'm very aware of how I, everything I do. I have to do it. I have to do it that way. And so because of that, um, I make sure that I'm doing the right thing uh, at the right place and time. Wow. And how, how does this play into your creativity? I mean, one thing that I would use to sum you up is you, you have so much energy, which I love. And then just your creative factor is, I'd say, off the, off the charts because of just look at all the things in your background and different ways you've made an impact. So how does the, your ADHD fit into your creative quotient? I believe that my success is based on everything that I do for myself. In other words, I understand that if I don't wake up early, I'm not going to work out. If I don't work out, I'm not going to get the dopamine aid. If I don't get the dopamine aid, I'm going to be a little more spacey. If I'm a little more spacey, I'm not going to be focused. If I'm not focused, I might miss some things over the course of the day. P.S., there goes a shitty day, right? <laughs> right. So for me, it's a lot easier. You know what? Get your ass up and just work out. I love it. I, yeah, that's, what, that's when I get my workouts in the morning. And you're a big triathlete, right? Uh, I am. Yeah, I actually have uh, seven races on the calendar. This wow. Week. Unbelievable. Um, uh, that's awesome. Okay. So, Peter, for those that are listening, you've, you've been in a lot of places. You've started companies. You sold them. They're successful. You've, you've tried ideas and, and pursued those to the fruition. So what would be one or two things, you know, pieces of advice you'd recommend to those that are listening that are out there that may have an idea, that may have a book in mind, that may have a company thought in mind, that maybe want to get into a space they're not in today? What would be your one or two like pieces of coaching or advice for them? The worst thing in the world is not failing. The worst thing in the world is never starting. And if you are, if you are doing things and you can't change, you know, if people don't necessarily like what you're doing and you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. Oh, I love that one. Change your environment, right? Yep. Awesome. All right. And last but not least, where can our listeners come to find you, to interact with you, to engage with you, get you to come speak at their events, et cetera? Yes. Yeah, so my world is at shankman.com and I run a mastermind group at shankminds.com. Awesome. Uh, that is probably the two best places to find me. Yeah. Faster than normal is the podcast. 
Peter, it has been awesome having you on the podcast. Glad to do it. Always a pleasure. For more information on today's topic or to access additional leadership content, tools, and resources, check out contenderbrands.com. Also, you can download other ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. And remember, every winner started as a contender. Contender.